In this episode of This Calling, God said, let there be light. God didn't think it. God didn't imagine it. God said it. So there's something about the act of words and communication that is at the heart of our faith. Welcome to This Calling, Conversations About Vocation. I'm Chris Arnold, a Christian who used to be an atheist, a software engineer who became a priest. These are the calling stories of others, where they are, how they got there, and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I talk to Melody Werman, Communications Director for the Episcopal Diocese of Kansas and President of Episcopal Communicators. Here's our conversation. What what's a week look like for you? Well, it uh, it might be easier to kind of talk about a general scope because okay. every week can be a little different. Um, I'm responsible for the formal communication vehicles that the diocese has to reach various parts of the diocese, various audiences. We do a quarterly news magazine called The Harvest. Um, So that is on a longer, um, every three-month schedule. Uh, For that, I decide the stories. I write many of them. I I receive sometimes information sent to me, and I have to dig a little bit to to find out what the real story is. you know, somebody talks to me about we're doing a we're we're going to start doing a dinner, and it's like, well, why? Well, because we're trying to. It's basically an evangelism tool. It's not just a it's not just a meal. It's an evangelism tool. Yeah. Um, so to try to get to the story behind the story, um, so that's that's one thing. We do a biweekly electronic newsletter. Oh, and that magazine goes to every person in every church in the diocese for whom we have a postal address. We still print hard copies because I think it's important for people to get something in their hands that comes from the diocese and that shares information about how God is at work in this place and that reminds them that they're part of something larger than their own local community. So that's one thing. The biweekly newsletter uh, goes to clergy and lay leaders Uh, I maintain our website, which is really ancient. So I'm currently working with a developer to come up with a new modern one, meaning one that is created in, I guess maybe we're still in this. The current one is 11 years old, which is like dinosaur ages in websites. So, um, so I do that. Um, I've been working on some new signs for buildings um, here we've sometimes it's public relations, sometimes it's media relations, sometimes it's general marketing. Um, I'm also the IT director for the diocese, um, yeah. which is evidence of God's sense of humor. Um, because I'm the least likely person to be involved in that, but I I try to at least do the job I can on that, and so it's everything from unsticking somebody's printer to somebody's laptop was deformed so badly that we had to 
bring in a loaner, have all of her information transferred over to a loaner machine, ship the other one off to Hewlett Packard, have them bring it back, reconfigure it. I don't do all of that. We pay a, uh, a company to assist us with that, but I'm the point person for that. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of all of that. Um, if it, um, I got an email about helping someone with flyer and publicity for a diocesan event. Uh, I like to say if it involves words or a plug, I might be involved with it. And you have a new bishop there in the Diocese of Kansas. We do. So I imagine there was a whole lot extra uh, on your plate around the election and around the kind of the, the media that goes out these days when, when bishops are uh, ordained. There was a lot of that. Um, we had a, and we were a little bit unusual in that we had um, almost a two-year uh, vacancy, as it were. Our previous bishop accepted a call to uh, to a parish and left in at the end of January in 20, Lordy, when was it? 2017. 2017. It was about a year after I left. Yeah, at the end of end of end of January, end of January 2017. And so our um, our Council of Trustees, which constitutes our standing committee, was the the group that was in charge during that time. And so they were running all of the 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 search as well as the transition. And so I worked closely with the search committee. Uh, they created their own website, but I I made sure that it it was uh, compatible with diocesan standards, um, that it met our style guide for, for usage of uh, uh, titles and things like that. Um, then once we switched to the transition phase, after the, you know, so yes, it was letting people know who the candidates were and here's the petition process. And I actually created, they needed me to create the petition form. And so I, you know, did all of that. And then once we had our candidates, um, I went around the diocese. We had four uh, evening walkabouts that were open to the four deanery regions, and I videotaped those. We tried to live stream them to YouTube. Uh, one of them, that didn't work, so we had to record it, and then I posted it the next day. Um, had additional materials. It was a lot of work, but it was, luckily, it was very, it was very detailed and very regimented, and so you could plan well and make sure that that there was a logical order to things. And then I created a, a special publication with information about all of the candidates. I created the bishop's, um, the service booklet for her ordination and consecration. Uh, there was a lot to do, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, very great time of celebration. So were you always in Episcopal Church Communications? How, how long have you been at the Diocese of Kansas, first of all? Well, I have been involved in the Ministry of Communications since March of 1994. Hmm. Um, I have worked for the Episcopal Church most of my adult life, but it was not always in communications. Um, when I first, uh, first out of college, uh, and I had finished um, most, I'd finished all the coursework for a master's. Both of my degrees are in religious studies from the University of Kansas. Um, and moved to Topeka, and I spent two years, two and a half years, working for the Kansas Secretary of State. State's a big employer, found a job, um, 
benefit of that, that was where I met my husband. Uh, he worked for another elected official, so that was not all bad. Um, um, the seventh bishop of Kansas, Bishop uh, Richard Grine, was elected, and I applied to become his administrative assistant, and I was hired and did that starting in June of 1981. I worked for him for four years, and then I spent 10 years in administration at Grace Cathedral, and it was from there that I applied for and uh, received the call to become editor of our diocesan newspaper, which was a separate contract position. And so I did that on contract for 10 years, then moved into the diocesan office half-time for three years. So I've been full-time on staff with the title of director since uh, the start of 2007. Hmm. So you're a Kansas native. I am. I've, I've only lived in the state of Kansas. It's, it's, it, it, it offers depth but maybe not as much breadth as others have. So did you grow up in the Episcopal Church? I did not. Uh, my family um, dipped its toe into church communities pretty irregularly. I remember, um, I, you know, I remember one time dressing up in a fancy hat and dress for Easter as a, as a little girl. Um, when I was growing up, the family, uh, the couple, they, uh, married couple across the street from us. She was organist at the at Plymouth Congregational Church in downtown Lawrence, Kansas. And she was, uh, so she invited us to, to start worshiping there. And so we did, I believe I was second grade. And then after a year or so, something happened and we didn't go to church anymore. And I went to youth group a little bit in sixth grade. And then when I was in high school, something just said this was important. And I started to attend the Presbyterian church with my best friend. And then uh, an ex-boyfriend um, invited me to Christmas Eve services at uh, Trinity Episcopal Church in downtown Lawrence. And I went and I thought, this is what I've always been longing for and never knew what it was. And so that was, 1970, 1971. And so I was confirmed in 1972 and, um, you know, and I've been a loyal member ever since. So I wonder what was going on in your life that you felt this, this draw, um, well, first into religion. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I've tried to look back on it and I can't really describe it. Um, I just remember thinking something had obviously happened and I thought, I wonder if that's real. And I thought, why don't I see? And so I started going to church. Um, my best friend and her family were regular churchgoers. So I said, can I start going with you? And, and so there you have it. Um, and truly, I just, I had no idea that, um, that, well, let me back up a little bit. When I was in high school, I had, so this is about the same time that I was starting to feel a call to something. I had a, a teacher who, kids would go over to his house on the weekends and hang out. It was a different day and age, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a very different day and age. Um, and um, he'd have you sign in so he knew exactly who was there. 
And it wasn't everybody, but you know, there'd be sometimes five or six people there and he'd provide popcorn and, um, and bottles of Coca-Cola and you'd sit and talk. And I remember being with a group of people talking about different religious traditions. And he said, well, how about we all, how about we go to Kansas city and check some out? And so there were, I think there were two guys, the teacher and me, and we drove from Lawrence to Kansas city. The first service was early, early service at Grace and Holy Trinity Cathedral. And I remember walking into this silence of people entering and kneeling. And my first thought was, wow, these people are here for God. And that's the first time I ever had that experience in a church. Um, we then followed that up with, um, we visited, you know, toured a couple of churches, then we ended up at one of the Greek Orthodox services, and that was a whole lot of church. Um, but there was something about that service at the cathedral that really spoke to me. So then when I was invited to the service uh, at Trinity at Christmas, it's like, this is what, this is what my heart has been calling for. So I had to go to the young Presbyterian pastor and say, um, I think I found a new place. And, and he wished me well, and uh, here I've been ever since. So obviously something was triggered, uh, something was going on inside you. You wound up doing a degree in religious studies. So you, I did. Were, you were picking up the ball and running with it. Uh, without any, you know, this was also in an era when if you had a, if you had a college degree, you could just figure you'd get a job. <laughs> it didn't have to be a degree that was, that was sort of in a profession. Um, and so um, sure enough, I, I started, I, um, I was moving to Topeka uh, in it with a former relationship and I, I started knocking on doors and I, I thought, well, gee, there are a lot of offices in the state capitol. Why don't I just go talk to them? And lo and behold, they had an opening in the Secretary of State's office. So I was doing administrative work. And um, there was some copy editing a little bit there. Um, just some, some very interesting. I sold state flags. I, uh, I registered lobbyists, um, things like that. And so that was... Um, um, there's that. But, but then once I started working for the church, oddly, when you, you know, there was a tiny little thread that periodically would keep cropping up that involved communications. When I worked for Bishop Grine, he decided that there needed to be some kind of a newsletter for clergy. Um, I can't remember if it was only clergy or also lay leaders, but anyway, he asked me to do it. And I had the great fortune of, of getting to visit with one of the top lay leaders of the diocese was the recently retired managing editor of the Kansas City Star. He was one of the kindest, most thoughtful, most faithful people. So he came to Topeka, sat down with me, and we talked about content. He says, okay, what's going on? There's your main issue. And so I, we laid it out, very simple, two-column layout, I assume it was called something profound like Bishop's Newsletter. <laughs> but, um, but that was in the era before any kind of desktop publishing. So you would literally type it up and paste it onto pages before you would photocopy it. And in order to make the flag that goes at the top that has the name, you bought rub-off letters, zip-a-tone letters, and they were like a dry transfer like you could do on a, like on a model airplane where you'd line it up on a light box 
and you'd rub off capital letters and then put the lowercase letters next to it. And then you, you, you could have fancier fonts than you could get with a simple Selectric typewriter. And so I remember putting that together, picking the paper, hand folding it, taking it to the bishop, he liked it. And I still to this day remember the feeling of walking down the stairs and being so excited at what I had done, I literally jumped up and down. And it was so much fun to create. And then over the next several years, periodically, I'd be asked, hey, we need somebody to fill in as an editor of this diocesan newspaper. Do you want to do it? And it never worked out, but they kept asking. And then <laughs> when the, pos <laughs> then the position became open on a half-time basis, uh, it had been held by a priest who was half-time in a parish and half-time in publication. And I was ready to make a change and I applied and much to my surprise, uh, Bishop William Smalley called and offered me the job. And then I had to figure out how to do it. So I worked from home, uh, which was lovely. I had a, uh, my son was in fourth grade at the time. So um, it gave me a lot of flexibility in terms of um, helping out at school, going to his after school events. Um, and then I just kind of by, I just, I just kind of learned how to do it. Um, my degrees, you know, one of the things that a degree in the humanities teaches you how to do is how to research and how to put pieces together. And so that was actually kind of the, kind of the, that's kind of what I relied upon is to say, so what is this? What does it mean? What's the story behind it? What does it mean for us? And then, and then I could start to write. You said several minutes ago that, that you call this the ministry of communication. I believe it is for me. Say more about that. I believe that one of the things I do is to share with people the way God is at work in the people and churches of this diocese. Um, with the with the desire to feed people, with the desire to reach out to immigrants on the border, with their adding a service in a nursing home because people there need to, need to hear the word of God. I believe that that is every bit as much a ministry and, and a vocation as as any others that require being called into it. Now, that isn't to say that every colleague I have in communications across this church sees it that way. Um, it can look like a job, and 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 certainly there's a lot of there's a lot of job to it. But for me, it truly is is ministry. Um, I found someone who would do kind of a calligraphy thing for me. It's, I have it on the wall opposite my desk. And it's the prologue to John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And so it's that emphasis on, on, on the word hmm. that touches me. Um, you know, um, I think it's Isaiah who talks about the feet of the messenger who brings good news. So there's, there's throughout scripture, there's that element of, of how communication, you know, in Genesis, God said, let there be light. God didn't think it, 
God didn't imagine it, God said it. So there's something about the act of words and communication that is at the heart of our faith, uh, both, both Old Testament and New Testament. And so that's the vein that I tap into. Um, you know, it, it, just as, as any ordained vocation has times when it feels a whole lot more like job than about a high calling. Um, but, but that's, that's the, that's the baseline that, uh, that keeps me going. That's really cool. <laughs> See, this is why I like doing this podcast. I get to hear stuff like that. That's, <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Well, it, um, it's, 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 it's really, you know, when you, when you get to do something creative, um, you know, when I say God said, let there be light, there's also, you know, God's a, cre- you know, it's a creative act. And as somebody said to me, anytime you, especially a person of faith, does, does an act of creation, that you're tapping into God's creation. And so, you know, when I create a logo for our diocesan convention theme, um, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a graphic designer, but I have to do little bits of graphics, and so I usually am lucky enough to have one great idea, and if it works, I'm good. If not, I don't know. You know, sometimes maybe sometimes one or two good ideas because I don't have the background to go much deeper than that. But when I when I have an idea and I can make it manifest on a page or on a screen, there there real there is something that is really rewarding about that act of creating. You mentioned something about uh, your colleagues uh, and you are the soon to be the outgoing president. You're currently president of what's it called? Episcopal communicators. Episcopal communicators. Yes. And it's a three-year term. It's a three-year term. I had one year ex officio as president elect and I took office at the end of our we have an annual conference every year. And so at, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of that conference in 2017, I, I took office. And so at the end of this conference, I turned the responsibility over to my successor. Um, it's going to be about nine o'clock on, on Thursday, <laughs> April 20, uh, April 30th, I believe. Not that I'm counting. Um, but no, it's, it's a, it's been a blessing. Um, and a challenge. Uh, we are an organization of about 350 people, communication professionals across the Episcopal Church, um, at the diocesan, parish, organization level, which can mean um, and Episcopal Church-related entities like Forward Movement, Episcopal Church Foundation, Episcopal News Service, seminaries, schools, um, but but a but a real breadth uh, across the church. Some of us have more of an emphasis in print, some in digital, some in web, graphic design. Um, but we all um, we all learn from each other. I'll put a, a a link to the website in the the show notes. Yeah. That'd be great. Episcopalcommunicators.org. And I'll tell you, the majority of people like me are the only person who do our work in our office. And so, which is, which is true for a lot of people in the church, you know, unless you're uh, 
unless you're working on a multi-priest staff, you're the only priest that's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, help, it's helpful to be able to talk to a colleague, sometimes to just, sometimes to bounce ideas off. Sometimes it's just to kind of unload a little bit. Yeah. And it was somebody who understands you don't have to go into great detail. You just say, Bishop's column, missed the deadline again. And you don't have to explain anymore because they're like, yeah. got it. I'm there also. Um, my bishop does not miss her deadline, by the way. Um, but you know, you've just got you've just got things that we share in common. Or, um, you know, what do you do when you put it in when you put it in the bullet for parish communicators? Put it in the bulletin for three weeks and the e newsletter every week and on the website. And so, how come you never told me? Yeah. Um, you know, you you have common you have common common complaints, common issues yes. that you can share shared with burdens that. Uh... You can help each other out, maybe, and uh, at the very least, you do. It's good yeah. to vent once in a while with uh, with other people. <laughs> it, it is, and we also operate. So we have about three hundred and fifty members, but we also are the administrators for a Facebook group called Episcopal mm-hmm. Communicators. It started with our members, but we opened it beyond that. It is an it's a closed group, so you have to ask to join. And if you've got some connection to communications, we'll admit you. And it's ten times larger than our membership. But, but membership also, um, we encourage people, if you're engaged in this, to be members because you get a little, um, a little you get more resources and a little, a little tighter sense of community. So how has your communications work, your vocation as a church communications worker, how has that shaped your prayer life, your relationship to the church, your relationship with God over the years? You know, sometimes it's, it's both a, it can be both a blessing and a burden to be in the middle of church administration. Um, sometimes you see a lot of sausage being made <laughs> as it were. Yeah. And, um, and it can, so, and things can be untidy and there are times you wish, Oh, I just didn't, I didn't want to know that. Um, but um, in terms of, you know, I'm not sure that it has had a particularly profound effect on my prayer life, but, but it has, um, I don't know, it, it, there's just something uh, that, that being connected, you know, having that sense of call and feeling connected that the work I'm doing is really God's call to me that does help strengthen my faith. And then there are lots of opportunities. There are lots of times when I will run across something in the work I'm doing that gives me incredible insight, really helps me to understand God better, helps me to understand the church better. Um, when I see people's, when I see people's faith strengthen it can strengthen my own. Hmm. If I can give you an example of that, um, something that has been incredibly helpful, uh, I can't remember the year, five or six years ago, there was a major tornado in Joplin, Missouri that killed a lot of people, something like 160 people. And it's just across the border from Southeast Kansas. And, um, our bishop at the time, Bishop Wolf, was going to was invited down to give some remarks at a 
some kind of a public gathering. And so I wanted to go uh, for that. Plus I wanted to just go meet with some people. So I contacted a colleague who I think had been on the job about four minutes, um, maybe four days. And I said, can you put me in touch with one of the priests in Joplin? So anyway, they all arranged for me to meet with, uh, with a woman who, who was a victim of the tornado. I thought I was going to meet with her at the church. Um, their bishop, who had been there literally like a month, um, was also there. Anyway, no, we hopped in the bishop's car. I met, the, I met at the church, saw the Father Sierra, uh, Bishop Field, and I got in the bishop's car, and we drove to this woman's house, the back of which was gone, been ripped off by the tornado. You could see through her house. Um, and she's, she knew I was coming. So she's got her, I believe it's St. Philip's, St. Philip's Episcopal Church t-shirt. She has her Episcopal shield ball cap on. And um, so I kind of took a tour of her house. And then there were these kids, these young people that were cleaning up her yard. And she, she said they were just, just groups of people had descended on the community to try to help. And this was a youth group from she had no idea where, and they said, can we help pick up brush? And so she said, of course. So, so I was interviewing her and she, you know, looked me square in the eye and she said, I know God did not cause that tornado, but this, and she circles her finger pointing to all these young people. She said, this, God is in the aftermath. God is in these young people who are here to help me. And I cannot begin to tell you how, profound that was for me and how many times I have realized in times of personal, you know, when you observe personal tragedies or just a variety of things, it's like God is in the aftermath. And had I not been with that woman in that place, that profound truth, I would never have known it in that way. Hmm. So, you know, when it just keeps coming back to me, you know, when, um, you know, my best friend was in a catastrophic car accident three months ago. Family all survived, but it's like I, when I witnessed the people who cared for her, the technicians, the nurses, the doctors, the surgeons, the everybody, and I thought, God's in that aftermath. I had language from her to describe my own situation that, was, that helped to, to make me understand that in that moment, all those people were God's representatives in that minute. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. It has really sustained me in, in times of, you know, when that or just all sorts of things that it, um, it makes you realize that just how true that is, you know, from a woman who had huddled in, nobody in Joplin had basements because the water table mm -hmm. is high and the soil is rocky. And so you just can't dig basements. And that's why there were so many lives lost was they had no place to go. And so she and her husband and a dog and two cats huddled in a corner of their bathroom covered with towels because they knew that was the strongest place. And they watched their house get ripped apart. Um, and so um, it, it, was, it was an amazing experience. So you're the first, uh, so I think, um, let's see, I think you're, you're going to be episode six when this comes out. You're the first lay person that I've talked to. Uh, 
which I've been I've been working very hard to make sure that it's not just clergy. But the thing is that if you ask clergy to tell their vocation stories, um, you know, you can't get a mic in front of us fast enough usually because uh, <laughs> because it's something that we start doing the minute we um, express any interest in in the ordained life. People start saying, "Well." give me your spiritual autobiography. And then you have to update that again and again and again. So we're pretty used to telling that story, but I didn't want it to just be, I don't want this podcast to just be uh, clergy vocation stories, but to kind of show the breadth of um, callings and vocations and ways mm -hmm. of, of doing ministry of all sorts. Um, but so have you, um, have you ever found the church to be clericalist? Have you felt that you've had to sort of fight for some something, some some place because you're a lay person? The answer is yes, and 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 then what would be my example? Um, it. You know, it's even just things, it's it's some of the stuff that's baked in to a church where um, where your boss is always a clergy person. In, in my case, as a diocesan communicator, you're going to be working for a bishop um, um, who often sees her or his relationship um, through the clergy to the people, not all, not only that, but there is a strong tie between a bishop and her or his clergy of that diocese. And so um, I've never been to a clergy conference to present, uh, only clergy do that. Now I know some of my colleagues in other dioceses will, uh, are invited in to talk about communications or to do things like that. Um, you know, some of it is just the structural things like salary, pension, mm -hmm. health insurance, you know, those kinds of things where there is not, um, where there is not uh, equity. Um, but I, you know, when I start to get a little, uh, you know, about this, and I remember the parable about, you know, the, the laborer who came in at various times of the day, and the one who'd worked all day was mad because the one who came in late, they got the same pay as I got. And Jesus said, well, didn't I pay you what I told you I was going to pay you? So, you know, what, why are you mad that I'm more generous over here? And it's like, I'm being compensated at the rate I was promised I would be compensated. So if the church chooses to do more elsewhere, um, sort of what is that to me? Um, but, um, but those are, the, you know, those are really kind of the, the primary places uh, I, I experienced that. Having, having been around the diocese so, so long, um, I, I do have bits of wisdom that, uh, you know, I, I don't have any, I don't feel any tremendous need to, um, uh, when I speak of clergy to others, I always use titles, but I don't feel quite the same need when I speak to clergy because I'm, I'm not even no longer a contemporary, I'm a, an elder to many of them. Um, but, um, but I also think, uh, I'm lucky enough that, that most clergy here, because I've been around, uh, a while that they do see me as a partner in ministry. Um, 
you know, and there was about about a hot minute when I thought, uh, huh, maybe maybe my vocation is to be ordained. And I got so far as to do a spiritual autobiography. Um, but what I realized was what I wanted to do was um, play church. Mm. You know, I wanted I wanted liturgical duties. Uh, I wanted to be that deacon by the altar or something. Um, and then when I worked for the cathedral and I saw really up close parish clergy um, and what that call looked like, you know, clergy dragging in. I've been sitting at the bedside of a dying man all night. And it's like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, pastoral counseling. And, and that's when it's like, you know, I was seeing a very tiny, tiny, tiny slice of what ordained ministry looks like liturgically. And it's like, uh, somebody once told me, can you not not do this? And I said, yep. They said, then that's your answer. And so um, I have, um, I have been a delighted lay minister ever since. God bless you. And the world needs good. The church needs really good, dedicated communications professionals. Because, uh, you know, I, I um, limp through trying to put things together on my own a lot. And, and yeah, that Facebook group, I'm part of that. And I get all sorts of great tips, uh, great suggestions uh, from that. Well, I also do want, I also do want to, uh, you know, certainly remind you of the, help you gave me when you were a priest in this diocese on, on website development, uh, some parishes of which continue to be the beneficiary of that. So, um, so the Ministry of Communication can run between orders as well. So, um, and with this podcast, you're certainly continuing to exhibit that element of call in your ministry as well. But yeah, you know, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a darn fine webmaster as well, web, de web designer too. Well, we, we're, and we're trying to do something similar to that in the Diocese of Fond du Lac. We did a survey of all the parishes here and look at the, looked at their websites and kind of ranked them in terms of how much they how much work they needed to do. And it's kind of ground to a halt in the last year or so for various reasons. But yeah, the goal is to have uh, every parish in the diocese to have a website that meets certain standards, minimum standards like put your location and your service times right high up on the, on the front page. Nobody should have to look for that. So. Exactly. And um, that's one of the things I wish I had a little bit more structured time I could do would be to continue to work. You know, I do kind of one-on-one -on -one with churches that need website help. Um, but I'd love to have some way to do that in a, in a larger larger quantity, um, but, you know, yeah. one does what one can. Yeah, there's always more work to be done. <laughs> the, what is it, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So what is the uh, best part and then the hardest part of, of your work? Oh, golly. Um, the best part is just getting to hear the stories of really faithful people. Uh, and then being able to tell it, to be entrusted 
maybe it, it, I mean, maybe it's self-entrusted because, um, you know, if I, if I said, I don't want to do a magazine anymore, we maybe wouldn't do it. So the fact that I, that I want to create stories that I share between the people in the parishes of this diocese, um, but to be able to, to find out what is the inner working there um, and to be able to share it more widely is, I think, the best. Um, when, some, when somebody says to me, that story you did, that helped me, that meant something to me, I really appreciated the way you said that. Um, then it said that I've, that I've made the kind of connection I'd like to make. So those are the best. Um, the hardest part, frankly, uh, oftentimes is the IT element of it, which is really not the communication part, but it is part of my job, which is that when somebody's computer is down, you got to deal with it right then. It doesn't matter how many great stories of God at work you have to deal with, you got to get that employee back up and running. Um, when you have to spend hours planning rollouts of you know new software or conversions and um, our comptroller uses server-based accounting software and is going to be transitioning to cloud-based and how can I support that and so it's a little bit like trying to be fluent in a really foreign language and so I do my best but it's it just always is a little bit of a struggle um, but I know in the end, it's, it's, it, it's to help people do their jobs better, but it always seems to come at the most frustrating time. So, uh, what advice do you have for someone who's coming up in, in this church communications thing, who's, who's heard this podcast and has now got to this point, they're saying to themselves, I want to follow in Melody's footsteps. Well, first of all, nothing would nothing would make me happier. Um, the thing is to um, you, it helps to be, it helps to know how to write. And I I never really took classes in that, but other than um, other than I wrote a lot in college, and so you kind of you learn kind of what works and how to write. Um, learn how to ask questions, try to get at the, and so what, or why is that? If this were somebody who was in school, um, I would say religious studies was a great degree. Um, it's helped me in a variety of ways, but it hasn't, um, you know, I had a, my undergraduate emphasis was in scripture and my graduate degree was in church history. Um, it doesn't help me really know how to do an interview or to how to edit a story. So I kind of had to learn that on my own. So if it were somebody who was still in school, I would say maybe take a class on reporting. So you know the basics of that. Um, there's a lot that I learned by flat out copying what I saw, not words, but formatting the types of stories just by finding trusted, uh, esteemed colleagues ahead of me in the field and following their lead. Um, but if I had had a little better, um, a little better grounding in some of the fundamentals of 
of, of the journalism part of this, um, I, would, I would have been well served. Read a lot. Just read a lot and be willing to ask questions. Course, become a member of Episcopal communicators. And become a member of Episcopal <laughs> communicators. Yes, yes. If you're if you're if you're a, if you're a um, if you're someone who is new in your job, um, let me tell you when I when I got the call from Bishop Smalley uh, to do this, um, I had met the the then communications person in the Diocese of Arizona once before because the dean of the cathedral dean I had worked for had been elected their bishop. I was out for, for his uh, ordination consecration and I met her and I thought I really had one of those deer in the headlight thoughts like what do I do now and so I called her and she said the first thing you do is you join Episcopal Communicators. This was in March and she said our conference is at the end of May. You go register. I'll take care of arranging your housing. We were meeting at Canuga so the registration covered all that and she put me in a you know, they kind of have these cottages where groups of people can, you know, multiples stay together. And so she put me in with some of her friends who it turned out it was like, you know, two future presidents of the organization, really qualified people. Um, and I remember walking down the hill and sitting in one of our first plenaries, not knowing anybody. And this guy came up and sat down next to me and spoke to me. It turned out he won all of the awards that night. Um, he was like one of the best community from the Diocese of Massachusetts. He was just because he wanted to just be kind and welcoming. So it, um, that really has also provided the, some of the most tremendous support one could ever hope for. Hey, so finally, I'm, I'm asking everybody for a, a recommendation of some sort of uh, pop culture, a book, a movie, video game, app on your phone, piece of music. <laughs> Whatever's, um, whatever is absolutely nothing to do with work <laughs> that you want to tell other people about. Well, I, this has a little tiny bit to do with work, but it's not, it's tangential. Um, and it's going to sound cliched, um, but in the fall of 2015, I'd heard a lot of buzz from my young colleagues about this hot new musical that was appearing on the scene, and it was Hamilton. So um, I bought the cast album and I listened to it and I was hook, line and sinker in that universe. And partly it was because of the, of the storytelling, the variety of genre used to tell a story of history. So the church is, you know, the history nerd in me sort of, you know, glommed onto that. But to, but to see how various, you know, whether it's rap, hip-hop, jazz, blues, British invasion, all those genres of music telling a specific part of the story fits together into a whole. And then the other thing that I think of periodically um, is the very last line in the show. It's not a spoiler alert, but <laughs> probably everybody's heard it. The very last line in the story is who lives, who dies, who tells your story. And, and, I'm, I'm aware that sometimes I get to be the one who tells somebody's story and that there's just that, that lineage of, of storytelling through whatever medium you have. Um, but uh, the other thing for which I'm grateful is that it also reawakened a long dormant 
love of musical theater. And so I've, I've seen a lot of local productions and uh, Broadway shows coming through in Kansas City. So that's been a, that's been a fun uh, internal revival for me. Have you ever done any acting yourself? I never have. Well? But, you know, I thought, yeah, I thought, uh, I don't know, maybe in retirement or something, I might like to go see if they need somebody to run the lights or something at our local civic theater, something <laughs> like that. But, I, yeah, just... I used to do lights and sound back in the day. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I'd be okay behind the scenes, but it's just a, uh, um, but just the um, the magic of the storytelling is uh is is really mesmerizing so so it's all about putting the words together that tell a story well i mean there is there's you know uh that's not that's not all of my life but um but it also it's it, it's just as interesting as i have as i've reflected in preparation for this to have that it's like oh yeah that and why is it it's because it's a story and it, it just is kind of like a thread that just kind of weaves in and out. And, you know, I could also talk about, um, you know, baseball and college basketball. And, um, but the one thing that has kind of, that grabbed me and didn't let go for a very long time was that, that piece of musical theater. Mm -hmm. My wife and I got a chance to see it uh, last fall. Finally, we said, okay, we'll see what all the hype is about. <laughs> it was fantastic. I was going to say, what did you think? Loved it. it was, we we had yeah. uh, we had pretty bad seats, but that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I did the most outlandish thing I have ever done, which is um, it was the year I was president elect, and um, the the then president and our treasurer said we need to have a transition meeting. Why don't we go to New York and then we can meet with some of our Episcopal Church partners at the church center and others. And so I started looking and this was, this was in June of 2016. And I, so it was, as it turned out, it was 10 days after part of the original cast had left, but I found, and it was outrageously expensive for a single orchestra seat on broad at Broadway. Um, but the organization paid for my ticket and we were staying at a little retreat house. And, um, and so I just did it. I just, I just, I just closed my eyes and I purchased that ticket master <laughs> ticket and took a, my, my first ever Uber down to uh, the Richard Rogers and walked in. And, um, and so I got to see, I got to see about half, half the cast. On Broadway, and then I've been able to see some of the touring companies as well as they've kind of been coming through. So it's it it, it uh, but it was really it was a, a most amazing. It was truly just amazing. Well, it has been great to catch up with you, Melody. I haven't seen you, you in too, four Chris. years now, right? Since I moved up here. And, and I have to tell you, I I think of you often because in the morning when I'm getting ready for work, I'm a dedicated listener to NPR, hmm. and they have a reporter whose name is Chris Arnold. They do have, and every yeah. and every time I hear him, it, it it it's an opportunity to think of you. So and we we both have Boston roots. He and I have exchanged uh, uh, messages on Twitter, direct messages. Um, now that's pretty cool. So yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah. rubbing elbows with famous people. Well, there you, you go. You have really helped me to um, to think of a God as the, the first communicator. And so therefore the ministry of communication is just carrying on how God works in the world. I like to think that it's that it's inherent in God's being, which is why one of the things I you know that sets humans apart from other parts of God's creation is speech and written language. Um, uh, that 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 is that there's something unique about about that as inherent in God's own self. Thanks again for listening to my conversation with Melody. Again, if you'd like to get in touch with her, be sure to look in the show notes for links to her uh, contact info on the website for the Episcopal Diocese of Kansas and also for the website for Episcopal Communicators. You can reach me on Twitter at Apple Tree Pods and on Facebook we have a page at Apple Tree Podcasts. Feel free to like and subscribe and review and share this with anyone you think might be interested. All the same stuff you do with all your favorite podcasts. The intro music is Cheerful by Bird, Bird, Bird. And the closing music that you're hearing now is called St. Mary's Falls by Tom Ganaway. Again, thank you so much for listening to this calling. I'm Chris Arnold, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye for now.